about big God and how God is big enough to solve our problems. Um, coming away from big God for a minute, I'll tell you about a moment I had on Friday. Um, we're playing softball. Uh, it's, a, um, it's a challenging game. We're playing the one other team in the league that hasn't won a game all year. So we think this is our chance to win one. And so um, I, as luck would have it, I, um, I step up to the plate, two outs, two runners on. We're down by two. And uh, very end of the game, by the way, I was uh, in high school, I played, I played in the outfield, but I got the DH, which means they didn't let me hit because I wasn't any good at it. So, um, so I step up to the plate, and, um, and I, uh, I take a good pitch, got a good at bat, and um, toss me the next one. I hit it real solid, digging it out, going down the first. It ended up being a slow ground ball to the pitcher who threw me out at first to end the game, and we lost. So, You can pray for me if you'd like. I could really appreciate it. It was very challenging to my self-esteem. Ironically, when I was a senior in high school, the last time that I uh, was involved in something like that, the very last at-bat of the year, if I get a hit, there's a chance we go to the playoffs. It scores the run. Um, instead, I strike out to end the season. So, it's, uh, I'm on a real roll, uh, but one of these days I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that hit, and, and we're going to go from the zero-loss team to the one-loss team. I feel confident. So anyway, uh, I felt way more insecure about it than I should have. A bunch of men past their prime playing softball. Um, but I just, it just didn't feel very good to me. Um, I don't know if you've ever felt incredibly insufficient or insecure. Um, I felt unnecessarily insufficient after that. Um, I was reading, I was reading a book about Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln uh, was, had collective one year of school. That's like grammar school, uh, high school, college, collective, one year. And uh, I read that before, and I thought, oh, well, that was probably just, you know, people didn't have a lot of education back then. Actually, five of the first seven presidents had a college degree, and, and all seven of them went to college. So it's not like nobody did it. He just didn't do it. And uh, I just think feeling insufficient on a mass scale he grew up in obscurity. He had one total year of education. The country was literally splitting into two. And, and he, all this going on, and, and if you read some of the things that he wrote, he kept a pretty detailed journal. You can see that he was feeling pretty insufficient and feeling pretty insecure about his own ability to sort of put the pieces back together. Um, insecurity, it's that little voice inside of you that whispers, like, I am not blank enough. You know, like, I am not good enough. I am not good-looking enough. I am not athletic enough. I cannot hit good enough. <laughs> um, I'm not young enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not funny enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not capable enough. All those things, all of that is insecurity. Um, to twist the words of a great philosopher, I heard this on the way over here, which tells you about what I'm doing on the way to church. To twist the words of a great philosopher, she says, uh, it's like when 10,000 spoons are needed, but you're a knife. <laughs> anyway, uh, if you know that song. But um, it's just any sort of sense of you feel like you are not big enough for the task. Maybe you just started some new phase in life. Um, I, you know, I run this trade school, 
And uh, we just started this first this year offering training at our site. It feels overwhelming. I don't know how to do everything. I know um, when I first became a dad, entering into that phase, that was a challenge. Some of you guys are getting ready to coast into retirement, not pointing any fingers about who's old or anything like that. Um, but you get ready to take on all these new things, and you just feel insufficient. I know... Um, John was talking to me about uh, sending kids to college. It takes the word insufficient to a whole new level when it comes to your funds. <laughs> and uh, just talking about all the ways that those things are super, super challenging. Um, talking about feeling insufficient to be a parent or feeling insecure. Molly said this to me the other day. She said, um, she just looked at me. She just woke up in the morning sitting on the couch. And she said, daddies don't know how to do stuff, but mommies do. And I was like, that's so true. Um, but that's how I feel personally all the time. Um, Facebook makes it that much worse. Social media makes it that much worse. I feel like I did good for Christmas. Jess wanted this a hammock, and I got it for her. And I'm like, I finally remembered something that she wants. And, and I ordered four days in advance so I could get it. And you feel like you did good, and then you look on Facebook, and somebody's in the Caribbean and surprised their spouse with a trip or something. Or you get your kid a good gift and somebody else got their kid a pony. And it's always a way that you don't, get, you don't do as good as somebody else. And what I know for me, and I feel is probably true for you, is some fear and insecurity has held you back from doing something good that you wanted to do. And something significant that you wanted to do. In Exodus chapter 3, we find this guy with a lot of insecurities. Uh, you find this guy who is, I mean, God wants him to do something, and all he can think of is how he can't get it done. But ironically, this guy Moses, in Exodus chapter 3, he started his life with, like, loads of confidence. So he starts his life, listen to this, this is how he gets going. He's a good-looking guy, right? We, I saw Prince of Egypt, okay? He was a good-looking cartoon character. And um, he's a good-looking guy. The scripture sort of paints that picture. He's got a pretty high-paying job. He's Pharaoh's adopted son. He's like the son of the king. Um, And here's this guy, and he knew God wanted him to do something, but he wasn't exactly sure how to do it. And, And what he knew that God wanted him to do was to deliver Israel. But when he first tried, this real successful guy tried to do this thing, which was deliver Israel, it went really bad. And so when he first tried to do it, all the Jewish people mocked him and rejected him. And even though he was Jewish because he was the the son of Pharaoh, they just kind of, they totally rejected him. And then after that happened, Pharaoh disowned him and he decided to, to kick him out. And then after that happened, he ends up killing a guy. And so a guy who's got all this confidence in the world, man, all of a sudden that begins to erode as he fails and he fails. You talk about a bad day at work. Everybody hates you. You get fired by your boss, who's also your father. And then on the way to your car, you kill somebody. (laughs) Like, that's a pretty bad day at work. Um, Reminds me of those, you guys remember those want to get away commercials? You know, where they, everybody does something terrible. Um, So that's what he does. He wants to get away. He flees into the desert. So he runs off into the desert. He ends up marrying this nomad girl, and he spends 40 years wandering around in the desert. I've done some pretty bad things, but but not so bad that I was like, I'm just going to get away for 40 years, and then I'll feel better. 40 years he gets away. That brings us to chapter 3. 
So here we go. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Herob, the mountain of God. By the way, pause for just a minute. Isn't this what everybody wants in a future son-in-law? He, he's going to come work for you and live in your house for the next 40 years? I think that's probably like ultimate failure to launch. But anyway, Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my... I love this passage right here. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Man, if there's something that really tells you a little bit about the character of God, he says, man, I hear them, I'm concerned, and I'm going to send somebody to help. And if you ever wonder what God's position is when you're going through some suffering, even though you may not see it in the moment, God is concerned about that stuff. Verse 8 says, so, this is God speaking, so I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And this is where Moses starts showing all his insecurity. This is where we get to connect with him. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. This will, be the sign that, this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses is like, well, that's all good and all. But, verse 13, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, Well, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what's his name? Isn't that funny? He's like, what if they're like, well, what's his name? And he says, um, then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, the clearest answer ever, right? He said, I am who I am. And this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. See, here's the reality that was true for Moses that is also true for you. God has great plans for you, and insecurity will keep you from them. God has great plans for you, but your insecurity will keep you from them. Here's what happened to Moses, okay? God had been telling Moses this great thing that God would do. And God's like, let me tell you, you know how you wanted to save your people? I'm going to save them. And, and, you know, isn't that great news? I see all that's happening, and I'm going to save them. You go like a couple verses later, he even says, not only am I going to save them, I'm going to make them rich. They've been slaves. I'm going to make them rich. Like, isn't that incredible? And up until verse 11, the whole conversation is about God and what God wanted to do and this great thing God was going to accomplish. 
But all Moses can think about in the midst of it is, but what about me? And in verse 11, Moses changes the conversation from God to himself. And Moses says, who am I? It's pretty interesting that back when Moses first tried to do something for for the Israelites, the one thing that people said to him was, when he tried to help them, they said, Moses, who are you? And isn't it funny how these things from, from years ago that people say to you, significant people in your life, and they say something to you, and you try not to let it seep into your soul. But the first thing that Moses says when God says, I'm going to do something great through you, is he echoes all the things that people have been saying to him. But wait, I'm nobody. And I know it because everybody told me that I'm nobody. And this has sort of seeped into his soul. And maybe that kind of thing happened to you. I don't know, an an abusive parent, an abusive boss, a spouse, somebody who's just beat you down long enough that you came to believe it. And for Moses, this is the case. And he's on the brink of letting his insecurity allow him to walk away from doing something great for God. And so he he keeps going. Even after God gives him a reason, even after God answers his insecurity, he, he keeps going on and he says, you answered my first question, what about this one? And he just asked a ridiculous one. And he's like, well, what if they say, what is God's name? Then what am I going to say? And he just is trying every way to say, God, I just can't do it. I can't help but project uh, my where I am personally into this situation. Um, I've seen lots of, of pastors in times like this right here. You know, you've been plugging away for a few years, and you see some great things happen, but, but you know, then, then some things don't go well, and you have this tendency to say, you know what could happen? I'm not very good at this, but somebody else could do really good. And somebody else could come in and just do a way better job, and, and so maybe God hasn't called me to do this after all, and, and then maybe, maybe, maybe I'll exit, maybe somebody else will come in, and they'll just do a great job. And I've seen a whole lot of people leave before it's time because of some insecurity and some anxiety and some doubt. And um, what happens here, this is, this is what I love. I, look, I love how God puts the pieces together. And if we take the doubt to Him instead of making a decision on our own in the midst of doubt about how we'll move forward, I love how God puts all these pieces together. Here's what God does. Two things happen here. The first thing, look how God deals with Moses' insecurity. He does two different things. The first thing is God does not deal with Moses' insecurity at all. I think that's pretty interesting. You know, what you would think when somebody's struggling with insecurity, you know, you know we're going to be like, hey, you know, positive thoughts, positive reinforcement, you know, let's find your inner spirit animal, you know, and let that come to the surface, you know, and, and we're going to help you, like, get through all this stuff. But God didn't say, you know, Moses, look in the mirror and say, I'm a wise, confident, strong man. And he didn't walk him through any of that kind of stuff. And he didn't have Moses visualize himself standing in front of, this is what all the teacher PD tells you to do. When you have a challenging student, visualize yourself, and then it never works. But, um, but it's sort of like, hey, you know, God didn't say, hey, try this and do this. And, hey, you should know that, that I've been preparing you for this. No, he, he doesn't do any of that. In fact, God doesn't talk about Moses at all. And Moses is struggling with insecurity, and God doesn't talk about him at all. The second thing is, this is what God does. 
what God does is he puts the focus back on himself. And what he says is, but you need to know that I will be with you. And that's because real confidence and genuine bravery and all those things, they come, they come not from within yourself, but they come from the reality that God is with you. And that's where the confidence you need comes from. That's where you get to leave insecurity behind. He's like, Moses, this is not about you having what it takes. This is about me having a purpose and saying, I'm going to do it through you. You see, the power, the success, all that belongs to me. I don't need you, Moses, to be a conqueror. I don't need you to be a victor. I just need you to be a vessel. And I just need you to go do what I've already decided to do. You don't got to be good at it. The work is all on me. See, the idea is confidence comes from discovering that, that, that God is greater, not from tapping into your inner potential. The God within you can accomplish all those things. The God within you has no insecurities. You, in and of yourself, have all those things. And so God says, stop thinking about yourself so much. This is not about you. This is about me. I'm trying to do something in the world. I'm just using you. And he tells Moses two things. He says this. The first thing he says, which is like the most confusing name ever, is God says, Moses, I am. And I think Moses is kind of be like, that's not really helpful because God's name is not really a name. It's just a verb. It's like if you, if you were uh, angry all the time and we just named you angry, right? Or if you were just in a hurry all the time and we named you hurry. Like that's, that God says, that my name is I am. And we may write like Yahweh or Jehovah. You, you see those names written. And it literally means I am. Like that's what that word means. And, and so what God is saying is, Moses, I am, I am not like anything you've ever experienced. Moses, I am complete. Moses, I don't have needs. I don't require help. I don't get tired. I don't have limits. I didn't have a beginning. I don't have an ending. I'm, I'm unchanging. I know everything. I am everywhere. And I'm certainly not intimidated by Pharaoh. And I'm certainly not limited by what you can do and you can't do. You see, I am everything that you are not. I am all those things. And so it's not about who you are. It's about who I am. The first thing he says to him is, I am. And the second thing he alludes to is that you are not. One of the big problems that we have when we come to our Bible, and one of the reasons that faith lets us down when it does, is because we come to our Bible and we come to church with this real critical mistake. We think that the Bible is a spiritual roadmap to help us. Like the whole idea is that we do better. And page after page is all about us figuring out who we are and discovering our true selves and bettering ourselves. But the idea is, is following God is about who He is. It's about who we are in Him, not who we can become. It's not about me. It's about discovering the will of God and then discovering His will for you. And that's how we leave behind insecurity. Some of us have approached God trying to, to find our purpose and trying to, to find some, something inside of us that we know needs to be out there. And I would just say that we've got it all wrong. The approach to God is not to say, God, look at all that I am. Come on, make me all these things. The approach is, God, I surrender myself to you. 
And that's where confidence begins. All Moses had to do was say, God, whatever you want to do, I'm in. It wasn't about saying, God, you're right. I am the guy. Heck, I was a prince. No. It's just about saying, God, I'll do what you say. Insecurity holds you back. Here's God's answer to your insecurity. His answer is correct. You are insufficient. You are totally and completely insufficient, but I am not. And I am with you. As we sort of move towards finishing up, there's this guy. His name's um, William Wilberforce. Pretty interesting name. William Wilberforce, he, uh, if you're familiar with American history, he did this pretty interesting thing. His efforts are mostly what led the slave trade to come to an end. And so he did lots of work in ending the slave trade. But here's the interesting thing. He writes this book. He tells a little bit about himself. He was apparently one of the most physically like unimpressive people you, you would ever imagine. And so uh, he had uh, scoliosis, like really sco- severe scoliosis. He was a hunchback. He was a short guy. And, um, and so I'm sure he got made fun of on the playground and all those kind of things. Not, not a very, and, you know, obviously growing up with a lot of insecurity. But he discovered the purposes of God. And he realized what God could do through him. And he felt heaven's wind at his back. And, and he got in line with what God was doing. And all of a sudden, he was way stronger than this kid who grew up with lots of issues. And he didn't discover any sort of inner potential, but he just discovered that God wanted to bring salvation to the world and that God would use him to do it. See, the reality is that you and I, we're completely inadequate. Um, James chapter 4 says you and I, this is pretty encouraging, right? It says you and I are like a wisp of smoke. You and I are like a blade of grass. And the slightest change in the wind's direction, the slightest change in temperature, any of those kind of things, and you can be gone. Like that's how insignificant we are. It says in the scope of the universe, we're so insignificant that, that we're like a, a grain of sand on the ocean floor. I mean, come on, that's pretty small. A grain of sand on the ocean floor. We're so powerless that Jesus says, apart from him, we can't do anything. We can't even guarantee that we'll be here tomorrow. I mean, we're so incredibly lacking in power. Doesn't this make you feel less insecure? We're so wicked that God had to die to save us. And we're so insignificant in and of ourselves. But that's the beauty of it all. As a follower of Jesus, if you say yes to him and you, and you, you, you turn from your sin and you say, yeah, Jesus, I, I just, you're the Savior and, and I want to follow you, what we get to do is we get to assume his identity. And then whoever the Pharaoh is in our life that says, who are you? You know, who are you that you come before me and you think you have some power? And we get to say very boldly, who am I? I'm nobody at all. But I am a child of the one who is. Who is everything. And because of that, I don't have to fear anybody. Because of that, I don't have to fear anything. Let me finish with this quick statement. There are, um, there are people in the world, there are people in your life, in your circle, and God has heard their suffering. I guarantee you that God has heard their suffering and He wants to do something for them and He probably wants to use you to do it. Did you know that 3.1 million children die from hunger every day? 3.1 million children die from hunger every day. 
millions of people die around the world every day not having heard the good news that Jesus loves them. Uh, your neighbor may be depressed. <laughs> um, uh, statistics tell us that one in every 14 people will have a major depressive episode uh, every year. So count the number of people on your street, and I'll bet you that there's one, two, three, four, however many people live on your street, right? There are a lot of people around you that have issues. And I don't need to know your neighbor to know that there are people around you that absolutely need you. And they may not be telling you all their struggles, but but there's something crying out in there, and God says, I've heard their cry, and I want to use you. And you may be too poor, to solve their financial problems, and you may be too shy to, to, to overcome everything and approach them, and you may be too busy to reach them. You may have all these twos that, that make it not work, but God says, oh, no, don't worry about that at all. It's not by your power or your means that I want to reach them anyway. You just say yes to me, and I'll do it through you. Let me pray.